Welcome to the Alcorn Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Here's what it says. Actually, I want you guys to read it. This is our last, this is the last book, so let's read it together real strong. Ready? Read. Father, we just thank you for this day, God. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for our sins, who stood in our place. So this morning, Father, we pray that through our time together of studying that we would be encouraged in the Lord. Uh, Lord, that we we would look to the cross, Lord, for our help, God, and see that we serve not only a crucified but a risen Savior. And so, Father, I just pray today that we would grow and learn in our faith today. I pray, God, for everyone in the room that is in a struggle, that is in a, in a fight, in a battle um, that no one knows about. I pray today that you would encourage our hearts and encourage our souls today, God. I pray, God, that our, that our faith would be restored and renewed on today. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would work in our hearts as we study together, that you would bless our time, that you would be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series, Taking Back the Church, my sermon title is, I love you, but you make me sick. I love you, but you make me sick. Don't, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Everybody, in, everybody that has anybody in your life know a few people that you love, but if you're being honest, they make you sick at the same time. What a dichotomy, what, 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 a, what, what an oxymoron that, that you can love somebody and they make you sick at the same time. This is, this is what is put before us in this letter, that, that, that Jesus loves the church at Laodicea. He, he loves them, but at the same time, he says, you make me, you, you, you make me, you make me sick. I think that, that this, is, this is fitting because it's almost like he waits to save the worst for last. He's had a few 
rebukes for a couple of churches, and a few churches got no rebuke at all. They were commended for doing well, but he, he saves the worst for last. This church, Laodicea, he has nothing to commend them about. And I think as we study the text and we kind of get a background on why he says what he says to this particular church, we'll understand exactly why he loves them, but they make him sick at the same time. You see, Laodicea is not some average common city. Historically speaking, Laodicea was a wealthy city. I mean, it was obvious when you traveled into Laodicea, you saw the impressive buildings. The the wealth was obvious. They had impressive buildings. They had two large amphitheaters. They had a stadium in their city. They, they were booming in Laodicea. In Laodicea. Matter of fact, they, they were situated geographically on a major trade route, so many people came through Laodicea to do business. Furthermore, there are three industries that contributed to their wealth. They had a booming banking industry. A lot of financiers lived in Laodicea. So they they had this thriving banking industry. They also had a thriving textile industry where they made this glossy black wool that that the elites would wear. They they would wear this black glossy wool. It was kind of like a Tom Ford, Tom Brown, Gucci, Louis Vuitton type of material. Not Louis, but but Louis. It it was an authentic material that the, the elite wore. And so they would go there and shop and buy clothing with this black glossy wool. Not only that, they had a booming uh, medical center. They created this salve that, that, that you could put in your eye if you had problems with your vision. All of that attributed to the wealth that was present in Laodicea. Not, not only that, they were so wealthy. They were so wealthy that in AD 60, an earthquake hit Laodicea. An earthquake hit Laodicea and essentially destroyed the entire city. And so the Roman government tried to step in and they offered to help the citizens of Laodicea, but they were so wealthy that they rejected the government's help. They actually said to the government, no, we're straight. You don't have to send us any stimulus money. This is, this, this is how wealthy they were. When we think of wealthy cities in our time, we think about New York. We think about London. We think about Tokyo. We, we think about San Francisco, Silicon Valley, where all the tech billionaires live. If, if, we were in, if they were in modern times or in biblical times, Laodicea would be counted along with these cities. And so when this earthquake happened, they rejected the government's help, and they said, we got it. We don't need your help. We can do this on their own. And here's what you need to know about Laodicea. They, they were a proud and independent people. If there was one, one phrase to, to, to describe the attitude of Laodicea, if they, they were, if you were to describe this city that, that pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, so to speak, if there was one word to describe in an attitude and a spirit to describe Laodicea, it would be that they were self-sufficient. They didn't, they didn't need anybody problem was that their self-sufficiency blinded the city of Laodicea to their own deteriorating condition. With all the wealth that, that occupied Laodicea, the one thing basic to human survival, they lacked. They had everything except the one thing that you need to survive. What did they lack? 
They had all of these impressive buildings. They had the stadium. They had the amphitheaters. They had the banking industry. They had the medical industry. They had the fashion industry. But they lacked water. They, they lacked an ample water supply. So, so what is the remedy to this? The remedy is this. Geographically, Laodicea is sandwiched between two other cities, a city called Hierapolis to the north and Colossae to the south. And so the Hierapolis to the, to the north is a smaller city, but they are known for their hot water. They are known for their hot water springs. People would go to Hierapolis to get in the water because the water in Hierapolis was believed to have this healing powder, his healing power, so you can go there, get healed, be soothed in the warm, hot water of Hierapolis. And then to the south, there was the cold, refreshing, pure water of the Colossians. So, so to, to benefit from their neighbors outside of Laodicea, an underground aqueduct was put in place that pumped water into the city of Laodicea. And even with all of their wealth and material possessions, the very thing that they needed to survive, they needed something outside of themselves to meet their deepest need. So you can have all the money in the world, but there's some things that money just came by. And they find themselves in this situation because both towns are roughly five miles away. They're pumping water in from the north and water in from the south. Both cities about five miles away. And so by the time the water gets to Laodicea, the water is neither hot nor cold. The water is now lukewarm. Meaning the water has what we would call an emetic effect. If you drink the waters of Laodicea, you would vomit. It would literally make you throw up if you drunk this water. And if water makes you throw up, then it's essentially useless. I don't know about you, but I live in Orlando, Florida. And I've been here for the last couple of weeks, and I don't want anybody handing me any room temperature water for anything. I need cold water. I don't understand you people who take cold showers. I've never taken one. I don't like cold water. I need hot water for everything. But imagine if you couldn't have hot water and you couldn't have cold water, you just had lukewarm water, water that's useless. So for all of the proud self-sufficiency in the spirit of the city of Laodicea, their self-sufficiency blinded them to their real reality. That, that although they are materially prosperous, it wasn't a true indication of their real condition. And because the attitude and, and the spirit of self-sufficiency spread throughout the city, guess where it landed? In the church. And so what does Jesus say? I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I, I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you're not cold or hot, you're, you're, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. So I don't have a choice but to spit you out, to, to literally vomit you out of my mouth. And what he's saying to the church is that the spirit of the city 
has gotten into the church. You know, you know it, it's fine and, and noble for a city to economically embrace the attitude of, of that they, they don't need the government's help, but it is a slippery and dangerous slope when that mindset slips into the church. Because one of the dangers of self-sufficiency is that it can deceive us into assessing and judging our spiritual lives based on the quality of our achievements and our accomplishments. Our degrees, our careers, our money, our relationships become the barometer of where we think we are spiritually. But but, but the Christian should know that our salvation is not by our achievements. Our salvation is not by works. It is not something we earn or deserve, but it is a gift from God that we have received by faith. And so for us Christians, we are not self-sufficient. We are God-dependent. We are God dependent. Theologian John Stott put it like this. The very first step to becoming a follower of Jesus is the humble admission that we need him. Nothing keeps us out of the kingdom of God more surely than our pride and self-sufficiency. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care how much money you accumulate. I don't care how many degrees that you have. I, I hope you have a lot of degrees, and I hope you have a lot of money. Shout out to you, but, but never be fooled that, that your accomplishments is an accurate indication of God's blessing in your life. How many of us know people who have all the money but care nothing about God at all? Right? And, and, and so money and accomplishments and achievements, in affluence, those things are not bad in themselves, but when they replace God as primary is when they become a problem because that self-sufficiency deceives us from seeing our true condition. And our true condition is that without God, we are absolutely nothing. So self-sufficiency is antithetical to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's dangerous. Theologian Charles Spurgeon, he said it like this. He said, self-sufficiency is Satan's net that he throws into the water to catch men like fish and eventually destroy them. This is what self-sufficiency does. Self-sufficiency and self-reliance lulls us to a place where we attempt to live the Christian life independent of God his grace, and his power. It saps all of the spiritual vitality from us and makes us useless for the kingdom of God because we forget that apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, we often think that when we've read this before, we think that God would want us to be hot, right? Hot, full of passion and fervor and zeal for the Lord. Yeah, he does, but then we say God God would either want us to be hot or, or rather us be like completely cold, that, that we, don't, we don't care about it. But here's what I want to clear up for you, that both hot and cold water are useful in the right setting. But what's useless is lukewarm water. Lukewarm water means that we've convinced ourselves that we only pursue a deeper relationship with God when things aren't going our way. I got a question. Does your prayer life look different when you're struggling than when everything is okay? When somebody loses a job, they all of a sudden become a prayer warrior and intercessor. Soon as you get a job and you get a promotion, your prayer life suddenly disappears. 
When you are by yourself, single and lonely, and you want somebody, you make your request known before the Lord regularly. But as soon as you get somebody, you replace God with that person. And what he's saying is, whether you're struggling or whether you feel like you're blessed, you need God in both seasons. When you're up, you need God. When you're down, you need God. When you're thriving, you need God. When you're struggling, you need God. When you got 10 degrees, you need God. When you got no degrees, you need God. When you're rich, you need God. When you're broke, you need God. No matter what the season of your life is, you need him. This is what he's trying to communicate to the church at Laodicea. But since you have decided to take on the attitude and the spirit of the culture and decided that you can put me on the back burner, you've crept into a place of being lukewarm. And lukewarm water for me is useless. It blinded them to the reality that they didn't, they didn't just need God to get saved. They need God every day. But as long as things are fine, God, you can keep being a supporting actor while I star in my own movie. I'll give you the scenes on when you can come in. Here's the self-deception. Verses 17 through 18. Here's what he says. He's speaking for them. He says, for you say, I'm rich. I become wealthy. I, I, I need nothing. And, and, and you don't realize, here's what he says, you don't realize that you're wretched, not ratchet, wretched, but I think you can be ratchet too. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Poor, blind, and naked. They're poor, blind, and naked. If you think about it, I told you that they are wealthy. God says that they're poor. I told you that they, they, their medical creation was eyesalve to help people's eyesight. He says, but you're blind. They have on these fine linens from the Gucci of Laodicea, and he says, you're naked. And so what they think about themselves is completely different than what God sees. I just want to pause and say this. We, we, we're not capable of, of, of accurately assessing ourselves. We should try to be self-aware. But if you really want to be self-aware, you should ask other people how they receive you. Because God is assessing them. And he says, what you think about yourself is completely different than what I see. And here's what he says. Here's what I'm going to do. I got some therapy for you. I advise you to stop spending your money at Louis of Laodicea. And by gold from me, refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes, not, not, the, not the knockoff that you get from the Laodicean flea market, but buy white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you can really see. Because if you have 20-20 vision but you don't have Jesus, you're still blind. That their wealth had caused them to be satisfied. And in their pursuit of the, an accumulation of wealth, that they're losing their zeal for God at the same time. And what happens is, naturally, inevitably, we become spiritually apathetic when everything is okay. I'm not saying that we need to be a glutton for punishment and say, Jesus, send me all the suffering I can handle. That's not what I'm saying. 
But sometimes God knows us. And to get us back, he might have to put us through a little something. Suffering has a way of sanctifying us. When when, when we suffer, we put everything on the table. I probably got to stop cussing. I got to cut down on it just a little bit. I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta work on my attitude. I, you know what? It's probably my impatience. But what God is trying to do with us through suffering is sometimes God is sanctifying us and bringing us closer to him. Because what he realizes about us that we don't realize about ourselves is that when everything is okay, we tend to forget God. And so this church... The reality of the great commandment to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They they agreed to it in principle, but in reality, they were only concerned with themselves. They're timid in their witness. They're they're unmotivated to pursue the Lord. They're unmotivated to pray. They're unmotivated to to read their word because things are going well for them. They, They had money. Their bills were paid. They had money in their 401k. They had a nice investment portfolio. And God is like, if you're basing your spiritual well-being on material well-being, you couldn't be more wrong. Now, let me say this. I am not a preacher that advocates that Christians need to take a vow of poverty. You'll never hear me say that. I I don't think it's anything wrong with with having wealth. There is nothing wrong with having wealth. Culture gets it wrong when they say that uh, money is the root of all evil. That's not actually what the Scripture says. The Scripture actually says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. You put uh, uh, $5 in the hands of somebody who wants to help somebody and invest, you get a different outcome than if you put it in the hands of somebody who wants to do harm. What's evil, the money or the person? And so there, there's nothing wrong with having resources. There's nothing wrong with being affluent. There's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. It's just that when we let those things replace our relationship with God, This is what he's getting at. You've forgotten about me. You've forgotten about me. We've all been there before. We've all been through seasons of struggle in whatever areas of our lives, and we were leaning and depending on the Lord and praying without ceasing. But as soon as things cleared up and the sun was back out, we forgot about the Lord. And he's saying, the problem is, is that you don't just need me in that season. You need me in this season too. What they realized or didn't realize was that their wealth, it didn't meet their deepest need. Their need went deeper than their resources could handle. That their abundance of financial resources dull their need for God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because they possessed wealth, but because they trusted in it. That was the problem. So, he's saying you're assessing your relationship with me based on whether you think you're blessed or not. You're blinded to the reality that you need me regardless. So here's my solution. I advise you to buy from me. I advise you to have your needs met by me. He's not saying that you need to take out your money, you need to buy something from God. What he's saying is, I advise you to turn to me and receive my provision. Receive what I have for you because with With what I give you, you won't go lacking. You will have everything that you need. I advise you to buy from me gold 
refined by fire, by what's really valuable. Don't, 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 don't buy that, 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 that necklace in the middle of the mall. Buy, buy real gold for me that, that lasts into eternity. Come get white clothes from me to clothe so that I can clothe your shame and your nakedness. Buy your garments from me. Come, come get the ointment for your eyes from me because I not only heal your physical blindness, I heal your spiritual blindness. You, you need something beyond your own resources. And, and I, think, I think Paul clears that up for us in the scriptures. Paul keeps talking about it, but we don't know that Paul is talking about it. Paul is speaking against self-reliance. The apostle Paul is speaking against self-reliance, and he's talking about God dependency, but we don't know it. And so we quote scriptures like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength? What, Paul, what is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not self-sufficient. I'm God-dependent. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in the first letter, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Here's what Paul says to them. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me, if you're good at something, if you've been blessed, it's not because of you, it's because of the grace of God. Paul writes the second letter to the church at Corinth. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He kept writing. He wrote them again, 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. And God is able. To make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you need resources, whatever you're doing, you need it from me. You need it from me. Second Peter 1 and 3 says this. If you think you're lacking something to live the life God has called you to live, he says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And lastly, I'll let Jesus speak for us. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says this in John 15, 4 through 5. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what you've accomplished in your life. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much you lack. I don't care how many degrees you have. I shout out to all your degrees. I'm a proponent. I'm a supporter. I love it. I shout out to you. I, I appreciate all the degrees in the building. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how much you accomplish. Apart from God, we can do nothing. If you have a gift that God has given you that you know how to do better than anybody else and it's brought you much success, it's not about you. It's about him. Never forget that no matter how well we do in life, we can never detach ourselves from the source and Jesus is the source the reality is that we will forever be in need of God we will never get to a season where we don't need him so that means in good seasons 
Acknowledge God in some so-so seasons. Acknowledge him in, in bad seasons. A- acknowledge him. Ne- never forget that, that we always have a need for him. We need him to overcome our sin. We need him to overcome temptation. We need him to provide everything that we need. We will always be in a posture to receive from God. Here's what he says, verses 19, 19 through 20, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. He says this, as many as I love I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to, into him and eat with him and he with me. And so after all of this, tell them that, he, that they make him sick. He tells them that he loves them. He tells them, that because I love you, I can't stand there and see you go down the wrong road and not say anything. I want to read a proverb to you real quick. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this. This is beautiful. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And what he's saying is, I'm rebuking you because I love you. Let me tell you something. If somebody sees you headed down a road of destruction and they don't say anything to stop you, they don't love you. We live in a generation where everybody wants to be nice and politically correct, but to your own detriment. And so we have to be, we, we have to be honest with people, even if they reject what they have to say. How many times have, has a parent or a grandparent or aunt or uncle or friend or somebody told us something that we didn't want to hear and we didn't appreciate it in that season? But as time lapsed, we look back and say, I thank you that you said that to me. And, and, and so we, we as, a, as a body of believers, we have to become truth tellers. Now, that's not a license for all of you people with the bad attitudes and the snappy words to go off on people, telling people about themselves just because you feel like it and you want to get off your chest because your life is miserable. No, that's not what this is. What it, what it is to say is if I love you, I'm going to come to you in grace and compassion and tell you the truth and because you know I'm your brother or I'm your sister you're going to receive what I have to say to you even if it's a tough pill to swallow Jesus disciplines those that he loves but he's only doing it and telling them to repent so that he can have a relationship with them he says repent be, 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 be zealous. T- turn, fr- turn from that way of thinking. Turn from that selfishness and turn from that, self, uh, that, that self-sufficiency and turn towards me. G- give me all of you. And ultimately, what Jesus wants from them is a relationship. You have no idea how much God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you so bad that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for your sins so that you can be restored to fellowship with him. It was no small price to pay for us to be able to have a relationship with the Lord. He sent his son to us to hang on a cross. He was beat, bruised. Experienced the wrath of God poured out on him for our sins, stood in our place. We, we deserve the cross, 
but he stood in our place. Died the death that we should have died, but was raised to life. And by trusting in him, we can be restored to God again. And it's nothing that we work for. It's nothing that our money can buy. It's a free gift of salvation that we receive. And so today, God God is calling us away from calling ourselves bosses. And I'm about to boss up. And I got it out the mud. And wherever else you got it out from. Or pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. That sounds good in theory. But the reality is, is that if you are saved, you didn't have any boots. God made us alive when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is what he offers us through his son. So if you are here today and you've been living a life where you've done everything on your own, Jesus invites you in to relationship with him. He says, come in with me. I stand at the door and I knock, but I'm waiting for you to let me in. There's, a, there's a, an artist who centuries ago had a painting, and he tried to paint a picture that displayed this particular passage. And he drew a door that Christ was standing at, and he was knocking, except that there was no doorknob on the outside. Meaning that the person had to turn the door and open it from the inside and let him in. And he's standing at the door today, knocking waiting for you to let him into your heart. Well, well I'm, I'm not saved, so I don't know. What, what, what should I do? You do nothing. You repent. God does not need your good works. God does not need your money. God does not need your degrees. God does not need your career. He doesn't need any of that. None of that qualifies you. He says, just receive this free gift. I've already paid the price. My son has paid the price for you. He shed his blood. So if you want to have a relationship with me, my son is the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking. And I imagine this is not a subtle knock. I imagine this is a police hood knock. And I don't know many people who don't open that door. And I'm telling you today, open the door. Let him in. He says, I love you. You make me sick, but I love you enough to die for you. Not perfect, but my son is. And his righteousness is your righteousness. So all I say. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.